Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Steve Jensen with Dental Intel. Steve, I such a big fan. I, I love chatting with you on the pre-show. And yeah, same man. Dental Dental Intel is the largest analytics provider out there by a mile. You know, big data hadn't been thrown around too often in 2024. But uh, <laughs> if you guys, if there's big data, it's at Dental Intel. <laughs> Man, thanks for being on the show, but I would love for you to jump into some of the trends that you're seeing in the industry. I know that you guys are constantly looking at the data and, and analyzing what happened, not just in the industry, but in different types of offices. Talk me through what you're seeing out there. Yeah, for sure, man. I, in fact, before I get into that, even for some reason, when you, you know, we're talking about going down memory lane in the pre-show, we were chatting. And mm -hmm. when you just said, you know, Dental Intel is certainly the biggest um, analytics company out there now. Like I just did this little like you know, five second flashback into our past. Like when I joined this company, you know, now we've got over 10,000 practices that we're working with. But when I joined, you know, I think, I think realistically we had like 1200, I think we were claiming 3000, but 3000 was like anyone who we had ever done a sync with or something like that. All, you know? all like, the free accounts you did. Yeah, I yeah, try yeah, to yeah. make ourselves sound as big as possible. Oh, you man, know? we've all been there. We've all got to, got to get there. So that's anyway, it was, it was fun for me just to think through like, man, like it's, it's fun to see how far we've come, but yeah, there's, there's some really interesting trends. I'll say this, most of the numbers we look at year over year actually are pretty uninteresting. Like a lot of numbers mm -hmm. stay relatively the same. Like how much are yeah, we diagnosing? Sure. Are patients saying yes to something? You know, a lot of those things stay, you know, within a few percentages of each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's one over the last three years that we've been watching that has consistently crept up and up and up that I think is interesting to talk about. One so that I hope people that are listening, you're like, okay, that's good to know that everyone else is having the same problem. And then two, maybe we can talk about like some solves. The one that's been creeping up has been cancellations and no-shows. So yeah. before COVID, and we can muse about why we think this is the case, but before COVID, it was like eight to 9% combination of the two. So cancellations and no-shows combined was like eight to 9%. And now at the end of this last year, we're looking at somewhere between like 13 and 15% on average in the 50th percentile practices. So it's been like creeping up several percentages every year. And now we're to the point where, you know, it's almost doubled from where it was pre-COVID, you know, four years later. So that yeah. creates a lot of pain. As you know, like, and anyone listening, one empty chair in either hygiene or restorative gets real expensive really fast. And so um, big, big problem. Now I'm interested, I'm going to like, I don't know if this is allowed, Eric, to like pin something go, back go, on you. Fire you're off, doing, fire off. You're doing marketing all the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't have like a, a, a firm answer on this. You know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of data, but we don't have data on like, why are these patients canceling or no showing? That's not stuff that practices are collecting and be, giving back to us. Do you have any perception on the marketing side? Like what might be causing patients to cancel a no show more? I do. I think there's really three converging factors. The first one is when COVID happened and again, wherever you land on it, 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 it gave everyone the plausible an unarguable mm -hmm. excuse. I don't feel well. Yeah. I don't, I can't come in uh -huh. and, and you can, and again, I'm not saying maybe you never should have, I'm, I'm saying sick people should stay home. I, I again, yeah. but it became incredibly socially acceptable to say, Steve, I'm not feeling well. I can't come in today. And, and you literally cannot argue with it. Right. Cause, yeah. cause no, again, absolutely. Number one, culturally, it became more acceptable to be sick and canceled. Yep. The second thing that I believe happened was as, as we exited the COVID era and the staff shortages came heavy, heavy into play, 
most offices stopped doing the little detail work that tied a, a bow on the appointment that showed value to the appointment. They were more rushed. The overall consumer experience de declined. Some offices began to shoot themselves in the foot as they would have schedule weaknesses. Mm -hmm. They would call Steve or Eric and bring them in from Wednesday into Monday. And as the offices started to move appointments, you empower me to move appointments too. And everyone was working from home. So we had some flexibility in that era. So the first convergent point is it became socially acceptable to cancel. The second one was because of the staff shortages and we were overworked, we were paying less attention to the little things that created value in the appointment. And the third is when we began to see the cancellations and begin to have holes, we started moving our own schedules around. Yeah. And thus, I, we, can we, I say we something right there? Treat us. Can I say yes. something right there? That's actually super fascinating. So one of the things that I saw in the data was I, I follow like the volume of hygiene visits that are scheduled mm -hmm. and that like has really ramped up post COVID. So there was like this pent up demand for hygiene. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So probably part of that came part of this cancellation no-show problem. Yes. Like people were more likely to schedule, but you're right. I think part of why we miss the little stuff is because I think it almost felt for a while like we had unlimited demand in a lot of practices. We were for never hygiene. going down. We're like, mm -hmm. we couldn't go down. So it's like, it, it wasn't a big deal. Like if we cancel or no show, we can uh -huh. fill those spots uh -huh. pretty like easily because yeah. such, so much demand for these spots. So I think that's worth calling Everyone out too. Everyone was trying to get in. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think those three things came together to put us here to where we are now on the second two, the first one, there's nothing we can do with. We're now sort of reaping what we sowed yeah. on how we treated patients during that time. And I don't think it was intentional. <laughs> I, I think we we're responding to market forces mm -hmm. and market demand. But I think we're in the real place of we have cheapened ourselves to the end consumer in the dental industry. And we need to push to get that value back. Mm, I love I love that. Um, and then the question becomes, okay, so we find ourselves in this problem. How do we work towards resolving it, I think, is always, you know, the right mode of attack. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So if, if you're sitting there thinking like, okay, how do I, how do I change some of this behavior? <laughs> Basically, one of the cool things that's a cool part of my job is I get to look at all the dental intel customers and mm -hmm. see who are the best performers in any given metric. So there's a group out of Boston. They've got seven locations. And it was fascinating. The average cancellation and no-show rate across each location was between 4 and 5%. So like wicked low. So low mm. that I was convinced for those that don't understand how like cancel and no show data works, you can game it. So basically mm -hmm. in Dentrix or EagleSoft or Open Dental, if you just like drag the appointment to a new appointment slot, so it like disappears, you don't tell the software that you're canceling it or, or, or no showing it, then it just like disappears. And from a data perspective, there's no historical log that said it ever existed in the first place. So mm -hmm. it can make your cancellation no-show percentage look low. So I was convinced like these guys are not canceling appointments the right way, or they are sometimes, but not all the time, but jumped on with them. And that was not the case. So um, I have found a consistent pattern. These guys were the first ones, but then now over the course of, you know, 30 plus more practices um, interviewing them, a, con a few consistent patterns, things that practices are doing to help reduce that cancellation and no-show rate to like four or five percent like that is something that's possible which i think for some might sound crazy but it is it's absolutely possible dr markowitz is his name you guys reached out to him he gave me permission to share his story so one of the cool things he he shared this story with me and i thought it was brilliant so he, he shares this with his whole team 
And his team is actually sharing this with their patients so they understand the importance of confirming appointments. So one mm-hmm. of his mm-hmm. team beliefs is they want to have as near 100% appointment confirmation rate as possible. So everyone's probably using some solution to send out text message reminders, confirmations, right? And you know, maybe 40%, maybe 70% of your patients are responding, you know, C or yes to confirm, but it's not 100. And so something has to happen to confirm. And he shared this story. He said, "Steve, I want you to imagine that uh, that you schedule lunch with a buddy for 6 months from now. It's 5 days before lunch. You both have it on your calendar. 5 days before lunch is supposed to happen. You text your buddy and say, "Hey man, just checking in. Want to make sure we're still good for lunch." And then he ghosts you, like no response from that friend. And then you text him the next day and you're like, hey man, I still haven't heard back from you. Just want to make sure we're good for lunch now in four days. And then he's like, you do it again three days before and you still haven't heard anything from your buddy. And he posed a simple question, you know, Steve, are you going to go show up for lunch if your friend doesn't ever confirm with you? And of course my answer was no way. Like that, like I'm not showing up for lunch because that friend is not showing up for lunch, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> Unless I had some real wrong number. Yeah, yeah that was not. exactly a wrong number. So he said, look, like that's that's what he has trained his team. Like when they think about the confirmations on their schedule, he's trained them to think that way. And they're sharing that story consistently with patients. So if they have a patient that didn't confirm, uh, that does show up randomly, they just let them know, hey, look, like think, imagine that it was a buddy texting you, like we need you to text us back and just let us know you're coming. Otherwise, in general, we're filling those slots with people. You know, we're, we're going to make it work this time, but we need you to confirm. So they have, they've trained their, their patients really well and the team to make sure they get 100%, as close to 100% confirmation as possible. Here's the, the second thing that people probably didn't catch. So first one, confirmation rate is really big. We're, we're managing that to make sure it's as close to 100 as possible. The second thing, he actually has his automated reminders. Most practices send those out like 48 hours and 28, 24 hours before the appointment. He actually does what I said, five, four, and then three. And he leaves his team two days, essentially, two and a half days, to reach out to these people to finish that confirmation process. So the reason for that is because he wants to be able to manage the schedule with several days in advance if they've got to refill that spot from Mm -hmm. someone not confirming. So that was a really interesting change where me, conceptually, I probably would have done the same as most dentists. Like, hey, two days before, one day before, and um, good enough. The problem, what he's maybe intentionally done Mm -hmm. is you're probably not likely to cancel it five, four, three days. Mm -hmm. But when I text you the day before, I have a clear vision on what I have in mind. And it's easier for me to justify option B over going to the dentist. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. I'm sure that plays into it. Yeah. And at five days, I probably don't have my schedule tomorrow handy. And I'm just going to commit yeah, to doing exactly it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a really good point. Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's the second thing that he does is he, he, he pushes the confirmation and reminder text a little bit farther than I think most people do when I was looking at um, engagement settings. So I can see that as well. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. The third thing, and this is more of a retention behavior, um, but does have to do with the way that people um, keep their appointments, is they have, with their hygiene and their restorative teams, a habit of always scheduling the next visit. So we call that hygiene reappointment or you know, the mm-hmm. pre-appointment percentage, the total number of patients that are scheduled in the future. And so they have a really high pre-appointment percentage. And what they do when they're rescheduling is they reemphasize the confirmation, the need to confirm. They also always share in the text messages that they send out as well as in that moment. Hey, just so you know, if you have to cancel or no show within two days before, we have a $50 reschedule fee. And they even say this, we don't really charge that to people. Like we hardly ever do it because people show up. 
We'll send you text messages five, four, and three days before to make sure you've got ample time to let us know if that's going to work so we don't get to that point. Um, but they train their patients really well to let them know, hey, like that two-day window is like a no-go for us, though. We've got to have decisions made before that. Um, and he said that those things mm. are ultimately what are impacting his his um, cancellation and no-show rate in a huge way. So it's been really fun. I've been teaching practices that over the last – that was like six months ago. And uh, it's been really fun to see as their no-show rates have started to come down, cancellations have come down, especially now that we're getting through kind of this first cycle of hygiene and folks are starting to figure out how to message that better. It's been really fun. So um, that is one of the the big things that I'm seeing is that cancellation and no-show rate going up. You got like got something to say. That, Chime in. Yeah, that's so great. I, whenever I hear offices talk about it and coaches, even coaches talk about it. I hear them say, oh, challenge people when they call to cancel. Yeah. Candidly, that's a loser's game. Yeah, that's By true. By the time that I'm calling yeah. to cancel, I've already decided to get – like now you're just the jerk who's challenging me on why my excuse mm-hmm. – if you call me and say I can't make the appointment, what what am I really challenging? Yes. Like, you're a grown man. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have no – the value needs to be created at like, I love what you said about making sure that the, when the hygienist reschedules that they're like, look, I'm, this is a really busy time yeah. and I'm reserving this schedule for you. And man, when you cancel on me, this is what it does to my schedule. Mm-hmm. And I may not be able to get you back on the schedule. Yeah. And I need you to confirm two days in advance, because if you can't be here, that's a really big deal to me personally. Mm-hmm. And I love it when they make it personal because I, that value needs to be added back into dentistry. And I love dentists. They're the salt of the earth, but mm-hmm. I've never met a group of people who work so hard to commoditize themselves. And, and, and it's just like, man, you, you need to provide that value and, and your team needs to provide that value because that's what I'm coming for. I'm not coming to get my teeth cleaned. I'm coming for my oral health. I'm coming to make sure my overall health is impacted, my overall hygiene mm-hmm. and, and oral health. And I think that's where... I love it how you articulated that around they changed the paradigm and they're not asking them 24 hours in advance. And my dentist texts me a few hours in advance and they're doing it to make sure I come in. Yes. But they're also allowing me to cancel. Because mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, I forgot. And, you know, I'm oh, double crap, booked now. I can't go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it's I think it's one of those things where, yes, I, I see how we got here, but I very much like the the five to three day confirmation instead of letting me cancel. Yeah, I, thought, it. I thought it was really interesting. That, that's amazing. Let me share. Let me uh-huh. add like one yeah. more layer to this. So we have this cancellation and no show problem that's been going on. Like it's been increasing now for several years, which means, you know, now if you look at some of the ADA surveys, like doctors and teams are starting to feel more pressure to keep the schedule full. Like it's harder to keep the schedule full now. Like this pent up demand is, is kind of wiped away. Things have normalized now. Mm-hmm. And now we're left with this cancellation no-show problem. And so one of the other things I hear, and you're, you're in marketing, so you probably hear this as well. A lot of folks are like, hey, like, I got to get patients back in my practice. So like, I just need a shiz ton of new patients to get us back to mm-hmm. where we were mm-hmm. before. And one of the things I thought, you know, we were pre-gaming a little before, and I thought it'd be interesting for folks to hear. There's a lot of amazing things about new patients that come to the practice. So a lot of things that are true, you know, doctors are looking for, you know, new treatment that they've never diagnosed before, mouse they've never seen. And that is really healthy for a dental practice. We need to have a consistent flow of new people coming in for sure. You know, because it's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting to say I got exactly yeah, it's super exciting to talk about. And I think patients. it's good from like an emotional mm-hmm. standpoint. You get to develop new relationships, meet new people. It's interesting. You know, it's you're not it's not the same old same old. I ho- hopefully, there's some value to everyone listening in community. Like 
there's power in just knowing people for years and years and years and years. And I hope you find some mm-hmm. meaning in that. I certainly do. But um, no, I think it's good to bring new patients in. But there's something that people need to be aware of with new patients or maybe, maybe a handful of things. So I did this interesting study a couple weeks ago. I was just interested to see with practices that are growing at a really high rate. So they're doubling their patient base. They're adding 50% new patients, meaning they've got 1,000 patients and they're ending the year at 1,500 new patients. So they're adding quite a few new patients every single month. My question was, you know, how do they perform from a case acceptance standpoint? Uh, how do they perform from a patient retention standpoint? Uh, how do they perform when I look at the full kind of diagnostic and retention experience down to a number I call annual patient value? That's the number that tells me like, when I plug a new, a new patient into this thing, what's it gonna yield me after a year? In all of those metrics, the high growth practices actually performed below average. Now that's not to say that high growth is bad, but I think it's to, it's to highlight a couple of things. Intuitively, I think this will make sense that new patients in general are less likely to say yes to a next appointment. They're less likely to say yes to treatment because we haven't established a, a long-term relationship of trust mm-hmm. yet. It's not to say they won't, right? Every new patient also, I'll, I'll call this out as well. Every new patient has potential to turn into that long-term patient that is more likely to say yes to treatment, that is more likely to say yes when we uh, want to schedule them for the next appointment, um, more likely to pay their bills, right? So all of those things, right? We have to have new patients to get there. But I think there's a conversation to be had around, okay, now, now we're trying to figure out how do we get our practice schedules back full and maybe that like mix we wanna play, like what, how much of that do we wanna funnel through you know, marketing to get a bunch of new patients and how much of that maybe do we wanna focus on on reactivation or retention efforts. So mm-hmm. you've got a big smile on your face. I want to hear from you, Eric, yeah. some of your thoughts there. No, it's funny you mentioned those things. Too much growth can inhibit overall success mm-hmm. in a practice because you become myopically focused on the new patients and you forget that I'm getting older every year yep. and, and the needs I had from a dental perspective at 48 are very different than when at 40 and for, from 35. Mm-hmm. I do find that dentists, don't prioritize the the marketing opportunity and the marketing gold they have within their own mm-hmm. practice to talk to them ab- ab- about treatments and, and push treatments. And even asking for referrals is a massive opportunity there. And like, but I love what you said. I am more likely to do business uh, from an orthodontic standpoint, from an implant standpoint, after three to four visits than I am at one to yes. two. Yeah, and that's probably and, a better way to say fact, it huh, than, our, than put it all on new patients. Yeah, the number of visits is what impacts that. That's right. Yeah, and in fact, we've noticed a very powerful shift in the industry over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, eight years ago, I, I don't think six years ago, but I'll say 10 eight, we used to market procedures. Mm-hmm. So uh, a crown or an implant, and we still can market all on fours. But it is significantly more successful in today's, the, the way uh, consumers consume media, mm-hmm. the way we think about the brands we deal with. We're now focusing on marketing the connection between the dentist and the patient and talking about why they got into dentistry and their approach to dentistry and what they would tell someone who came in for the first time. We're using marketing to accelerate that that emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... We're, we're, from a marketing side, we're doing the same thing that you're talking about is 
a new patient is great, but you do need to balance across your portfolio mm. of patients, some time toward existing patients and time toward new patients. But it's really about that emotional connection for us that we're trying to accelerate in marketing. Mm. But you, it's funny, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting that your numbers hit on sort of one of the core beliefs we have as, as a company. There's, there's 12 ways I can replace a tooth. Mm -hmm. The emotional connection is actually what will get the consumer to decide how to move forward. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this there's yeah. this interplay between you know how do we how do we get back to a more normal, busy feeling schedule? Um, and and for sure, I think you know as you guys look at your practices, and I should mention this too. I don't know if this is okay for me to do, but if anyone ever wants to like take a peek at your numbers, that's something that I'll do for free. Like if you just want to hit up, you can just ask for Steve at Dental Intel. And I'll and I can install Dental Intel for free, and I can just like jump on, do a review with you. Uh, do you ever do that too, Eric? Do you ever just like review people's numbers with them? Anyway, I'm happy to do it. Eric's probably happy to do we it because he's a total nerd. I'd love to. <laughs> I'll do it with Steve. Me and Steve will jump on together <laughs> yeah. and, and and review your practice. When, now you, you've had to see in a ton of practices. Oh yeah. And and what do you mostly find when you review the numbers? Yeah, the like what are the most consistent things that are good or the most consistent things mm -hmm. that need some work? Either one. Yeah, I like Either one. I like to think yeah. I share this about dental intel with people. I th I find that it, it like I think this is like relatable. Like there was a time when doctors um would do dentistry without without radiographs. Like there was a time when that was a reality. And what a gift that we've had improved imaging come into the space to get like a full picture of the health of the tooth, where it's strong, mm -hmm. where it needs restoration. And the way I frame dental intelligence is that same way. Like there, there was a time and it wasn't that long ago, you know, we we're talking five, six, seven years ago when dentists didn't have a tool to give them a full picture of the health of their business. Right. So that's what we're trying to do with analytics is really get like a full 360 picture of the whole health of the tooth to understand like, where is it strong? Where is it healthy? And where is it struggling? And so yeah, for sure. There are like, I mean, just like with teeth, right? Like people that don't floss, like you're going to consistently see cavities, you know, in between the teeth. Like that's just what you, what you would mm -hmm, expect. Mm -hmm. Same thing with businesses, right? So the common things I see when I jump on uh, patient retention is always poor. That one still surprises me. The average pre-appointment for the whole industry is still around 50%, which means like the average practice still is scheduled to lose half of their patients unless they do something about it, mm -hmm. call these people, text these people, email these people. So that one um, has always surprised me. You know, uh, we can always get better at patient retention. And that has a lot to do with experience. That has also a lot to do with processes and tools, like the way we approach that whole problem. Another consistent problem that I see is a fall off between diagnosis and treatment getting completed. Uh, is a really fun place to dive in to see like, hey, where is where is treatment falling through the cracks? Uh, doctors for years before DI have always loved tracking patient case acceptance, which is just I, I present a full treatment case and do they say yes to something, which is always high. Even in our numbers, it's high. It's like 75 to 85 percent of, of mm -hmm. what gets presented. Mm -hmm. Something, gets, something done. gets done. Yes. But, yeah, um, yeah. but I think it surprises people when I tell them that only 37 percent of the treatment getting diagnosed in dentistry ultimately gets completed, right? So there's this big drop off, a pretty big cliff to be worked on where it doesn't have to be that big. You know, it's it's um, pretty common to see doctors mm -hmm. that start focusing mm -hmm. on that number go from 37% up into that, you know, 60, 65%. Pretty difficult to get above that right. unless, you, unless you're doing like 
pretty basic dentistry, you know, like drill and fill, highly likely to say yes to it. You know what I mean? You can get it higher than but... I, I think it's also hard to get above that number because you're probably presenting options. Oh, that's there right. too. Yeah. I so can, our I can, data... I can do a bridge or an implant. Yes. So our data yeah. is going to include mm -hmm. options from the dollar's perspective for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 60, 60 would be stellar. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 That's very fair. So mm -hmm. like there's mm -hmm. things like that that are like mm -hmm. always like there's always bread and butter for us to fix on patient retention. There's always improvements to be made like in the clinical workflow, stuff that's dropping through the cracks. And then hygiene, I think would probably be the last one. That's like, I always see when I jump in. Um, hygienists just have a really bad habit of doing bloody profies. And um, there's not a whole lot of like really skilled periodontal diagnosis and treatment planning mm. and presentation happening. And, 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 and I think the belief there is that they're doing good by the patient by um, only billing them for a profi. Um, but in reality, they're, you know, in a way lying to the patient about the reality of their health. And, uh, you know, absolutely. So we want to make sure I'm a big advocate for like, Hey, like if someone has periodontal disease, you need to tell them and clinically mm -hmm. mark that mm -hmm. that's what they have. You know, like I'd be so upset as a parent, if, um, you know, a doctor heard some like heart palpitations, but it's like, well, that's really expensive if I tell them what's really going on. So I'm just going to tell them, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> Something yeah, they probably don't have the money to cheaper. fix this. Like, I'd be so mad. And I know that, like, maybe <laughs> like gums don't have the same, maybe don't feel like they have the same weight as heart. But there's all sorts of studies about, you know, the the oral connection to mm -hmm. the rest of the health of the body. So, you know, anyway, that that's been a big talking point for us over the years too. Is there's lots of lots of clinical improvement because hygienists all mean well. Like, they want to do best by patient. I've not met a hygienist who's a, you know, a scum ever, I don't think, but that's behavior that is pretty commonly found when I dive in. Yeah. When you were talking and you're talking about the trends in the industry and life before, you know, we, we had a time when everything was on paper charts mm -hmm. and before radio. Yeah, absolutely. So when you contemplate your time at Dental Intel from 2018 to today, when you look back, what has been the biggest shift in the dental community mm -hmm. mindset? in that time frame for you? Yeah, that's a fun, that's a fun question. There's some like, I, I have my, I have my answer locked in, but I'm, I'm going to try not to change it when I hear ah, yours. Sweet. But if yours is better, I might, I might lie. Um, there, but go ahead. So we're about, you know, between us and competitors, we figure we've got about, you know, 15 to 20% of practices that are using some analytic solutions. So that's great to see. Still lots of space there to improve. There's a couple of measurable things that have been fun for me to watch. So some of the things that we've rung on from like a retention standpoint, like when we first started, the average hygiene reappointment percentage for practices that we worked with was in the, mm -hmm. you know, 65, 67%. And this last year, it was at 85%. So there have been some numbers that okay. we're, big, big like we're preaching, you know, when performance is measured, performance improves. And we're actually seeing that with our client base. Like the longer someone's a DI client, the better their performance is across the board, which is really fun to see that we're having a measurable impact by introducing, you know, solutions that we're providing into the space. So that's very fun for me to mm -hmm. see. And then I think the second thing I would say is, is I hear our terminology. So the metrics that, you know, didn't exist that we created or that we've been evangelizing, I'm hearing people use very similar or parallel um, phraseology about the way we talk about a business. And that's very fun to help bring in this like, new this new way of operating in the business you know i i might make some claims around like our ability to help private practices stay private if that's their desire and you know be successful with DSOs. Yeah, yeah. there's some cool things there but 
Um, I think I'll name I'll name those two. You you had an answer locked in. I'm mm-hmm. interested to hear what yours was. No, I, I was looking up the the. There's some saying around what gets measured gets improved. Yeah, what gets measured what gets, gets managed. Me- yeah, what gets measured gets made. Yeah, there's something around there. So if you just radiate out mm-hmm. enough information about the practice, I would of course want to improve the numbers. Yep. For me, my answer is, and I have a few data points to to talk to. When we first started back in 2014, 2016, mm-hmm. we would get a fair number of practices who, when we would talk about them about marketing, they say, I've never done marketing. I don't know that I've heard that in the last four years, no. like not once. I've heard, I did not like my marketing team. Mm-hmm. I've heard, I don't know what they, I've heard a lot yeah. of, I've heard a lot, but I've never heard in the last couple of years, I don't do marketing more. I think as we've seen consolidation come in and we've seen the rise of the educated consumer mm-hmm. and I, and, the, and the disinformation out there as well is very high. We've seen, at least this, so this is my, this is my answer to the, my <laughs> one question. I think we've seen the shift from, I think 10 years ago, a dentist could come in and be a clinical dentist and their operation would run effective. Yeah. Not great, yeah, I think that's but effective. Fair, yeah. I think today they have to be a CEO first and then a dentist mm. to be successful. And, and that has shifted in probably the last six to eight years pretty dramatically where I do think there's more competition. Mm-hmm. I do think that more organizations are investing in marketing. I, th- I think the next big bastion in dentistry to tackle will be online scheduling. Yep. And I think it's one of those things that culturally dentists resist mm-hmm. because their schedules, this you know beautiful Mona Lisa of yeah. their creation mm-hmm. and consumers don't want that. Yeah, no. And I, I think that with the rise in competition, the investment of private equity money, the education and disinformation out there that consumers are experiencing, dentists are now having to be good CEOs mm-hmm. first, and then they have to be a, a good dentist. Yeah, I, I and, like and that. That's been a the, lot. one of the biggest shifts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think it's it's in alignment with yours of. I can remember when we would talk about new patients. And again, I'm going back to 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. 2017, 2018. We were telling them they're new patients. Yeah, they had no idea. 42, you, saw, you had 40, 40 D0150s and you had 545s. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, that sounds really good. And I'm like, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> and now they're calling me preemptively saying, I only have 20 new patients scheduled. What what are we doing? Yep. So we've seen a big shift in in the operations. Yeah. yeah. Well, gosh, Steve, it, thank you so much for all your time and knowledge. I, I would love to have you back. It's, it's just such, yeah, this it's is a nice blast, to find man. such it's a so kindred fun. soul. And man, I, I love the research you guys do. And if any practices out there want, want Steve to, to use his, his big, beautiful brain to <laughs> snapshot your office and, and provide insights. Dental Intel is amazing. In 2024, we're actually going to roll out a change where our percentage of collection offices, where, you know, where our fees are percentage mm-hmm. of collections, we're going to ask him to get Dental Intel. Sweet. And we're going to, yeah, we're going to, we're either going to have them pay for it or we're going to pay for it out of the marketing budget because we, as you said, radiating that information, the value of a new patient, the reappointments, mm-hmm. the, the patients that are leaving me the back door, the, the number of calls to number of appointments, we're finding that to be incredibly powerful and it has real world marketing implications mm-hmm. that, that we're going to start pushing dental into our clients. Yeah, that's great. 
but Steve, man, thanks so much for your time, buddy. And I'd love to have you back to talk, uh, you know, 2024, uh, uh, your projects in 2024 later. Yeah, this let's year. do it. And then I'll have you come and join uh, mine as well sometime soon. Get you on with our dental Intel audience. All right, buddy. I would love to. I would love to.